0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Interplast Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Gray, Head of Content at British Plastics and Rubber and interplastinsights.com. So in this episode, I speak to Dan Jordan, um, and also Kieran Kelly. So Dan Jordan, first of all, many of you may know from Summit Systems, a big player in the UK plastics industry. Kieran Kelly uh, may be less familiar in the UK plastics industry. Um, He is actually a former fisherman Uh, turned plastics recycler become environmental activist and the story of how he and dan uh, got their heads together is quite an interesting one so we talk about that Um, we talk about kieran's life and his experience and we talk about the project he's working on now which is called rio oceans integrity it's well i don't want to say too much but it's an interesting new viewpoint in addressing the plastic waste problem um, and recycling Um, So, I think it's a really interesting interview, and I hope you enjoy. First of all, Dan, um, this kind of came about when I had a conversation with Mike Jordan at Summit Systems a couple of weeks ago, and he um, was talking about a project that you guys have gotten involved in um, called Rio Ocean's Integrity. So. Um, do you want to just kick off by just tell us how you came to be involved with the project
1: yeah thanks David that's uh, it was an interesting conversation on a Saturday night on LinkedIn and it was about one in the morning I'd messaged Kieran probably about six months ago and um, we were looking was looking for somebody to help recycle a load of aprons and um, I think it was a I had 70 containers of aprons that came over that didn't manage to go to their final destination within the NHS. And we were looking for a recycling solution. So I messaged him and yeah, sure enough, messaged back and then within a few messages, I think we'd exchanged numbers and I called him and it was about one in the morning, <laughs> suddenly two hours had gone by and we'd been chatting away. And it was really good mm-hmm. to be chatting with an environmentalist that was talking on the same level and we had the same opinions on a lot of things about plastics and their role in society. And, and it was good to hear an environmentalist that wants to work with plastics and figure out a solution. So we were pretty much on the same page since the moment we spoke and, uh, yeah, three in the morning came along, I was like, well, <laughs> that's good, but he was seven hours ahead because he's in Jakarta. So, um, in Indonesia, anyway, we, um, we kept in touch. We've ended up recycling over 1200 tons of aprons together. Which got the ball rolling. Um, the funds from that, the proceeds from that have funded um one of the nets that Kieran's commissioned, which we'll come to speak about. And yeah, yeah. then we've just decided we're working together because we can both help each other along. And I really like Kieran's vision. I really like the um company he's established and the way his passion for the environment and his passion for just doing something massive because the scale of the problem is humongous. And a lot of the programs out there don't even scratch the surface. This is the only program I can see that's actually shifting large volumes. So yeah, that's how we got
0: involved and uh, yeah, we're chatting all the time. The rest is history. Um, But Kieran, thanks so much for um, joining us today as well. Um, I know you've got a super busy schedule, but um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your background because am I right that your background's in fishing?
2: Well, my background, I grew up on the southeast coast of Ireland, mm-hmm. and um, my, my family were in the fishing industry for uh, multiple generations, as far back as I can, I can go, I guess. I grew up in a little fishing village called Helvig. Helvig is on the Waterford coast. Um, so at a very early, early age, we were introduced into the industry, like, you know, by my father and my grandfather and the likes. And um, in the 90s, uh, you know, I could see that there was all kinds of problems within the fishing industry in Europe and I always wanted to go to the U.S. and you know look at the fishing industry again and open a fishing company in the United States. So I emigrated to the United States uh, shortly after arriving there I bought my first vessel in the U.S. and um, I, I operated out of the port of Gloucester, Massachusetts and um, shortly after that I, I had several, several vessels and um, I worked all around the U.S. Um, and Again, through uh, Central South America as well, I guess, and as well as that above in Alaska up in the Bering Sea. But one thing that always concerned me was the amount of plastic that we would see on the ocean floor. Um, plastic that, no matter where we went, like we'd come across plastic. And I guess the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I mean, there's always something. I guess, like you know, that make people change. Um, the fisheries in the US are well managed. I mean, they're sustainable fisheries. Very, very well managed. Um, tight quotas, and you know, that really wasn't a problem. But the big problem was like, you know, they plastic waste. One winter, I guess, up in the, up in the ice cap, in way north in the Arctic Circle, further north than we've ever fished before um, because of the melting uh, polar caps. Um, <clears throat> taking back the net one night, middle of winter storm force conditions, And I was in the wheelhouse looking out the window and looking at the crew, it was just a horrendous night. And the first thing when these trawl doors, these auto doors came out of the water, parts of our fishing equipment, they were covered in plastic. This was virgin ground that we'd never fished before. Nobody had ever been that far north before. And the place was full of plastic. Mm. And I remember calling home that night, later that night, and um, I said to my family, I said, you know what? was selling my fishing company. And they said, you know what? You need to come home. You're after being at sea for four or five months. You need to take a break and rest. And you know, think about it. And I said, no. I said, you know what? I said, it's, I, I'm all done. I mean, we have to do something about trying to protect our oceans. We have to figure out a way like, you know, to collect this plastic. I said, there's plastic everywhere. And um, I guess that was the start of it. Shortly after that, I got rid of the company. Um, <clears throat> got rid of all the boats. And the, initially, I put the company together with some Coast Guard officers in the U.S. And we were going to target plastic only in the Caribbean after on the backside of hurricanes. As hurricanes ran through, uh, we we tuck in behind the hurricanes and collect the plastic when it's easy to collect from the backwash off the islands. Um, and that, that was the idea behind that. But within, within a short few months, we found ourselves in India. And um, I remember waking up in a hotel in Mumbai saying how am i after getting here like a few weeks after putting the company together and um and the rest was history um mm-hmm. you know we ended up in in vietnam and indonesia and so on and so forth um we're about we're all about solutions we're about collecting plastic in a, on an industrial scale collect plastic like it was never collected before and that's i guess that's what we do um we we look at plastic um and where the big concentrations of plastic are, are and like how we can collect that. Um, the plastic that is the problem on the ocean floors and, and floating on the surface, of course, is, is multi-layer plastic, single-use plastics and, and the likes. There's massive volumes of that. Um, There's six to seven metres of plastic on the ocean floor here in places, uh, uh, here in the, in the Java Sea. And um, that's the plastic that we, we target. We target that with... a uh, with local indigenous um, Indonesian Indonesian fishermen and fishermen in India and the likes. Um, that's a story for Mother Day. Um, it took a long time, I guess, for those guys to uh, come along and trust us that we're an environmental company, mm. but we're only interested in the solutions, targeting plastic. We're not going to get into the rest of the politics around whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, we're not going to try and shut them down. You know we're going to try and work with them and we're going to try to strengthen these communities these indigenous communities and of course you know put some money back into the pockets of these guys um
0: i mean it's amazing it's amazing that 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 one um vision that one sort of vision that you saw during your your fishing career Change the course of your life completely and, and changed your, not only your career, but you know your priorities, I guess, um, in a personal way as well. And um, I think that's why it's really important that people check out your website and um, some of the videos that you've got online as well, because they sort of help you to visualize the scale and the scope of the problem. Um, and I've seen videos of, of, of uh, a literal river of plastic that you've that you've um, got online, and I think people need to um, go and take a look at that. Um, so I want to I want kind of move on to that now. Obviously, you're out in Jakarta at the moment. Um, the United Nations Environment Programme is meeting with fifty member states of the UN this week um, in Kenya, and. One of the things that they're talking about is um, uh, the potential of a global plastics pact. And um, One of the stats that they've um, released is that 2.7 million tons out of a total of 11 million tons of plastics which go into the ocean come down from rivers. So that's something that you guys have been involved with. And I think that's partly where um, some, of, some of Dan and Mike Jordan's involvement comes in as well. How does it get to, how, how do we get to the point where that much plastic is entering rivers and waterways?
2: Well, if you look at the, if you look at the bigger, you know, the bigger picture here, nearly all the plastic that you see going into the ocean are coming from rivers. Not the, you know, the, the biggest percentage of it. Like it's, look at around here in Indonesia, um, which is the second worst polluted, you know, country in the world um, mm. regarding like, you know, there plastic waste. Over over ninety percent of the plastic that ends up in the ocean here um, comes from the rivers. Um, The the sheer volume of plastic you see coming here at times, like you know, there is is horrific. We collect plastic here. We've seen plastic from the UK, seen from Norway, Iceland, Faroe Islands, Iceland, like countries that you would never imagine. Um, I post up photographs and videos of, of boxes, packaging, you name it, from all over the world. One of the big things that happened here for years, you know, Western countries, we, we shipped our plastic overseas. Um, we, our governments, knowingly or unknowingly, um, thought like, you know, that this plastic was going to end up in a sort of recycling facility in, in the developed world. Of course, you know, that never happened. Uh, but what happened, the plastic ended up initially inside the landfills. The landfills here are mountains. They're no longer what you'd consider a landfill. Mm-hmm. There's strobe lights on top of the landfills, so an aircraft don't run into them. I mean, like they're are the highest pieces of, of land. Like you know, they're inside the cities, are are the landfills. Um, so nothing else can be. You can't fit any more plastic waste, I guess, like you know, in these landfills. So what happens after that? Of course, they have to get rid of it. The vast majority of plastic now is being burnt here at the moment. Um, if you look at uh,
1: and, and just for the UK for the UK audience, what I was when you say it's being burned or incinerated, you typically think in the UK or Europe it goes into a you know, proper refuse to fuel or RDF incinerator. It's not the case. He means set fire to, burned with no regulations in an open burn pit, and that is what happens on a regular basis, which then directly links to a lot of deaths, a lot of lung disease. Is it 5 million people a year, Kieran?
2: Yeah, in, in, in 2020, um, there was 5.5 million people ended up in the hospital in Jakarta alone because of uh, breathing problems, because of air quality. 5.5 million. Not because of COVID, just because of pollution. Uh, the burning of plastic here is, is, is a brutal problem. Um, you know, people, are, people are dying from, you know, from the uh, pollution inside these cities. At, on, a, on a massive scale and, you know, nobody ever talks about that.
1: You see that at the coalface and part of the reason I've been so involved with Kieran is just the, the shocking stories and the want, the want to be able to make a difference and, you know, you, you, Kieran's involved with their shoe programme so they donate thousands of pairs of shoes a month to the local orphanages and schools because a lot of the kids don't have any, um, any footwear and a lot of them are also getting chemical burns on their legs from playing and washing in the rivers and that's as a result of a lot of these big corporations dumping and polluting not just plastic but chemicals into the rivers. So Kieran's pretty much on the rivers most weeks if you're not traveling, are you? And they're getting this information, this this data. And uh yeah, our goal is to end up changing that over the shortest period of time we can. But um, it's not the bottles, it's not the trays, the pots tubs trays that's all got a commodity value and it has its own it has its own um ability to fund itself. It's the unrecyclable plastics that we're targeting in Rio, the high hanging fruits mm. and um the the way we're tackling that is collecting it on massive scale and big volumes what what's the sort of tonnage you can collect at the week? Uh, home, we,
2: we could collect we could collect uh, five to six thousand tons of, of that plastic in a week if we if again if we can move it, um, you know it's uh, looking at it where we are right now, um, you know like six to seven eight hundred tons a week, um, you know for for us like when we're collecting is is an easy is an easy task, um, but but again like you know there we we we're opening a new factory there in Tangaran right now where we're turning this, uh, turning plastic into, into aggregate, um, that plastic into aggregate, like, you know, then we're, we're, we're making, uh, making blocks from that. Uh, we can make enough of blocks in a day, um, uh, there at the moment to, to build 35 houses a day. Um, so like it's, it's a, it's a big, it's a big volume of, of, of plastic, um, you know, that we can get rid of, but again, it's only, a, it's only the tip of the iceberg. We have to scale up from there. And of course, that's what we need, um, you know, to be able to look at, like, you know, look at, can we find customers like, you know, they're in Europe and UK, where we can start uh, bagging up, I guess, like, you know, there um, are thousands of tons of this aggregate. And of course, like, you know, put it into building projects around the world mm. where corporations can actually take part and they can actually truly help clean ocean. Instead because they're going to
1: create expert. this demand, aren't they? They're going to create the demand for this product. Because right. I think we've moved, on. we've moved on now from a few years ago where the status quo was, if it's not perfect, we don't want it. I, a quote I always, well, I think I might have came up with it. <laughs> Perfection <laughs> in packaging is not required for a greener future. I quite like that because it really pushes it back to the consumer wanting to have a, f- a bit of blemish in, a pack- in the packaging or not having a perfectly clean surface it needs the recycling isn't pretty but it needs to show it in the products but we need that to be able to drive these businesses and brands to want to have that recycled content and it look a little bit unsightly or we'll have a bit of color or pattern in the in the finishes and that's going to come from using recycled product mm. um, in non-food applications of course getting into food applications is it's very tricky so we're looking to take really difficult to recycle unrecyclable plastic process it shred it and get it into aggregate to be used in massive volume um, and so those sorts of companies we wanted to get on board and work with us as a partnership and you know the massive CSR value in that is going to be great um, and actually just being able to realistically show the full audit trail of the material from cradle to grave, and then also we'll be able to prove the carbon footprint of it. We do
0: plastic offsets, carbon offsets for it as well. I, I, I want to sort of, um, you know, you, you touched Dan on, on the involvement that you and Summit Systems have had so far um, with Rio Oceans Integrity. But just talk, talk to us a little bit more about the net. I want to, I want to sort of talk now about the net. Ah, that you guys okay, have so- to, Fund. yeah we went um I went
1: over to Denmark with Kieran a couple of weeks back now and we met one of Kieran's old contacts who'd been in the fishing industry for years they make nets and they Kieran's come up with this design we've just mm-hmm. helped fund it with some of these recycling programs we've been doing with the aprons and uh, yeah Kieran invited me over to have a look at it we're also getting local fishing businesses on board to help with the net recycling program we're doing at Rio. But um, with the net itself, I'll let Kieran explain, but essentially this is going, it's being shipped, it's in transit at the moment on the way over to uh, Indonesia, where Kieran will be receiving it probably in a week or so. It's 120 metres long, 20 metres deep, and it's going to be a static fixed line net in one of the main polluting rivers over there. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a myriad of different pollutants coming down, a lot of them are microplastics as well, which... Aren't your traditional microplastics or nurdles, as some people call them? They're just meaning pellet. And um, this is process. Uh, this is waste from a wash plant, and the plastics washing plant takes in dirty plastic, shreds it up, washes it, and when they go through the centrifuges, those holes are typically two mil, um, two mil screen sizes, and anything sub two mil comes out as fines, and those fines they're just dumping into the river. It's the quickest, and easiest. to get rid of it a lot of these wash plants are situated on the river because of the disposal um the ease of disposal being situated on a river gives gives the wash plant and that's already a microplastic. so it's not degraded due to the plastic breaking down it's just been dumped in that form so this net kieran's or rio's put in will be going down to around when stretched out 500 micron so half a millimeter wow Wow. that will start to take out a lot of these microplastics this is a static fixed name uh, fixed line net at source um so that's the idea it gets collected it will get pulled out the, recy- the the material will then go through a sorting facility at kieran's plant and um we will then take any of the unrecyclable material and then that gets blended into the concrete mix with the aggregate and the brick bl- bricks and we're going to be building the houses for local people empowering the local people doing the collections and manning the nets essentially there's going to be no carbon footprint with operating that net apart from maybe the winching in and winching out which is you know, minimal but um Kieran, do you want to talk a little bit more about the detail of the net and when you <coughs> come up with yeah, the idea of and it's called mped so what does mped stand for Let's... uh
2: microplastic elimination device um when, when we when we started working i guess initially like on on, on a device um to target microplastics, um, one thing everybody said to us that like we'd never figure out water flow. Water mm. flow is going to kill us. Um, like if you're talking something down at the at the first side of the backside at the re- reducer on, on, on this on this net, the flow of water that you're talking about running through this is 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 absolutely mind-boggling. Um, so once you start reducing um, uh, the, the the mesh size. Um, you're going to have to filter. I think you made it out, it was, it was, was 4.2 billion liters of water an hour going to run through this. So you're filtering that water um, from at the first side of the bag down to 500 microns, mm-hmm. down to the back side, like when the meshes are closed, down to about 50 microns.
0: Mm.
2: Um, so it was, every time we, we tried it, the problem we had, like, you know, there, of course, was water flow. Water flow was always an issue. So we, we started working with a company in, in Denmark. Um, again, they were a net-making company. I knew the guys for years. And um, we, 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 we could never figure it out. And I was at sea. Um, I started working on this about five or six years ago, I guess, before, just before I sold the companies, I started working on it. And I was in Alaska, of all places, one night taking the net back. And again, strong force conditions and a miserable night. And I watched the water starting to cavitate inside the net. And when it did, you could see the meshes opening up and you could see water and, and, you know, fish and stuff escaping because the nets would get slack. I remember saying, that's it, that's it. My first mate says, are you okay, Captain? And I said, that's it. He said, what's it? I said, forget about it. I said, that's it, I know it. So, so we, 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 um, We went back to the flume tank, and what we did, we put separate chambers on the backside of the net. We reduced the size mesh or the uh, circumference of of of, of the of of, of the cut end of the back section, and we created all these independent pockets. so What would happen then? The water would deadhead, and when it goes in the chamber, it creates this cavitation. But the water cavitating, it actually the water itself, even though it's tiny mesh the water itself escapes, and through the cavitation, the plastic stays inside it, and it goes from chamber to chamber all back to the very, very back section. And when it goes to the very back section, every few hours or whatever it may be, we just lift that back section out and empty it and, yeah. um, and keep going from there. If you don't connect the dots, right, we're never gonna fix the problem here. Yeah. Um, Poverty, like and and pollution, they they they're hand in hand. Unless you can fix the problem of poverty, you're never going to fix the problem of pollution. You just can't do it. Yeah. So the beauty of this program, of course, like you know, there we can actually get people. There's a shortage of three million homes here at the moment. The Indonesian government tells us we have a great relationship here with the government. We meet them on a weekly basis. And of course, like you know, one of the big problems with that, like you know, there, of course, is is like you know, you have 15, 20, 25 people living inside a in a building that's not much bigger than, than the living room of a person's house in the UK. Sure.
0: Okay. It is. It is. I mean, I guess just to kind of um, round this off, you know, I'm really getting the impression this is not a this is not an anti-plastics movement and this is not an anti-plastics stance. So this is something obviously our our listeners and our viewers will be plastics industry stakeholders. What would you say to them Kieran what what do you want from them and, and how how can they engage with you and get involved with you obviously the way that you work with with um, Dan and, and his colleagues is is unique you know you've, you've you've worked together on the net and you've kind of um, you, you've worked co- collaboratively with them but I know that you want to work with other stakeholders from plastics industry so what would your kind of um, key takeaway be for them
2: Well. We, we want to be real about, about everything we do. Uh, one thing I want to say first before I answer that, plastic is not really the problem, mm-hmm. right? We can't turn around and point fingers at, you know, people look at Coca-Cola and say, you know, Coca-Cola, they're polluting the ocean, but that's not the case. Coca-Cola never threw a bottle, plastic bottle into the ocean. I mean, they're the ones that are not responsible, like, you know, they're for the plastic in the ocean. The problem is, like, you know, they coming from individuals. And, of course, like, with that, like, you know, there, it's a case of, of I guess, like, you know, true problems like we have with, by educating people and showing people like, you know, there, how we can use plastic, I guess, for a better good, like, you know, there for, for, for the communities, but we need help there. We need help there from corporations. We can constantly scale this up. We want to be able to build tens of thousands of houses a year. Uh, our goal is like, you know, to be able to, be able to handle 50 to 60,000 tons of this plastic a month. That is our goal, and that is a figure that we will that we will make, we will meet, and we will we will collect. But we can do that with any companies. Like you know, there were real programs that we can connect the dots from start to finish, from connect the collection of the plastic to the recycling of the plastic and a social program. But through problem plastic, plastic that's in the river, on the river, on the bed of the river. Um, plastic that's in the ocean, on the ocean floor, plastic that's creating a massive problem, they can be involved in collecting that, which we can eliminate your plastic footprint by doing that. At the same time, we'll recycle 100% of that. Every single scrap of plastic will be recycled. And of course, we can build homes. And we'd love anyone in the industry, any stakeholders in the industry, please come on board let's fix the problems we have on this planet, but let's do it in a way that makes sense. That's not going to break the bank doing it.
0: Dan, um, final word from you, you're obviously, um, you and Mike, you're well known figures in the UK plastics industry in particular. Um, What would you say to friends and colleagues?
1: Yeah, I'd say this is a really, really unique program that can actually instruct real change. Uh, it's very easy to target plastics as a as a bad thing but we all know that the carbon footprint associated with say moving back to glass is way bigger than plastic and that's just going to be fueling a bigger wave behind the plastics waves which uh, you know reduction of carbon footprint is is hugely important for everybody on the planet and yeah so that that would be
0: uh, my parting words for it thanks very much for having us on absolutely oh, my pleasure um Kieran thanks for for joining us um, and, and you as well, Dan. It's um, great Thank to Dan. talk to you both.
1: Happy thanks to do us nice on a later date. There's loads more to discuss.
0: Well, there we go. Massive thanks again to Dan and Kieran for talking to me. Really enjoyed that interview. Um, do stay tuned for the next episode of the Interplastic Insights podcast. Make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And uh, please do share with your network as well. Until next time, thanks very much.